Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thanks for listening this Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. Topics on today's episode include the latest on mortgage M&A, my interview with Tom Showalter on machine learning as it applies to underwriting, and the effect inflationary talk is having on the bond market. Is Better.com worth $7.7 billion, as indicated by the SPAC deal announced yesterday? I guess things are worth the price at which a willing buyer and seller transact. For comparison, the book value of Rocket is $34 billion, UWM is $10.9 billion, and Guild Mortgage is $876 million. I mentioned Guild because of its acquisition news from yesterday, which I'll discuss in a minute. And I mentioned Rocket because of the UWM earnings call yesterday, where CEO Matt Ishbia listed off the wholesaler's accomplishments in the first quarter. UWM Holdings' stock price, however, is trading near its all-time low, with its dividend yield approaching 6%, and it is the defendant in a well-publicized lawsuit filed by brokers. Every lender, public or private, is watching economic trends in their areas. Record low inventory, builders' inability to keep up with demand, low mortgage rates, an influx of new buyers, strict lending standards, and muted foreclosure activity should prevent the housing industry from a future crash, or at least one would hope. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. Have you heard of Candor yet? As you'll hear shortly, they're gaining groundswell for their dynamic, adaptive, and automated underwriting engine. There are a variety of reasons why one bank or lender would buy another, or why they'd merge. Cultural capacity, geographic fit, operations, economies of scale, channel pairing, increased financial net worth or leverage, the list goes on and on. The latest example was announced yesterday with Guild Holdings Company and Residential Mortgage Services Holdings, Inc., signing a definitive merger agreement under which Guild will acquire RMS. Guild expects the transaction to be accretive to 2021 earnings per share and to close in the third quarter of this year, subject to regulatory approvals and other customary closing conditions. The addition of RMS will extend Guild's presence into new geographies and create growth opportunities as Guild continues to build market share across the U.S., With RMS's strength in the retail purchase market, Guild will leverage its core competencies to drive near and long-term growth. Based on 2020 loan originations, the combined company would have been the seventh largest non-bank retail lender in the country. RMS is no wallflower, with 70 offices across 14 New England and Mid-Atlantic states and generating $8.5 billion of loan originations last year. Following the transaction, the RMS management team will continue to manage the business. For its part, Guild knows a thing or two about M&A, as well as going public. This transaction marks the company's seventh successful acquisition since 2008. Under the terms of the merger agreement, the purchase price is estimated to be $196.7 million based on March 31, 2021 tangible book value, representing 3.25 times estimated 2021 earnings. The final purchase price will be determined by the June 1, 2021 tangible book value, subject to certain transaction-related adjustments. RMS will also receive a three-year earnout. The initial consideration will be predominantly cash, with key members of the RMS management team receiving a meaningful portion of their consideration in stock. We received this note from the M&A team at Stratmore, led by Garth Graham. Quote, With the announcement that Guild Mortgage will acquire the stock of residential mortgage services, there are some interesting insights from behind the curtain. The initial conversation started pre-COVID, but circumstances and market conditions imposed management distractions for both parties. The mighty refinance boom, beginning in March of 2020, pushed origination capacity to the limits. Then, Guild Mortgage executed their successful IPO in August, 
so M&A action was limited during the mandated quiet period. From Stratmore's vantage point, it was the competing strategic fit which sustained the discussions in spite of those significant distractions. With the additional RMS production concentration in the Northeast, Guild will complete its destiny to achieve a true nationwide mortgage origination footprint. The RMS shareholders will own an equity stake in one of the mortgage industry's premier public lenders. The cultural compatibility and origination model match were evident from early discussions. Stratmore has been privileged to represent Guild Mortgage on two previous acquisitions which established Guild's origination presence in the Pacific Northwest. End quote. For today's interview, I wanted to bring on Tom Showalter, CEO of Candor, to discuss how expert system technology is making its way into the mortgage space. I saw on your website a reference to expert system technology, which I, I know is something that has also been used in IBM's Watson, among other things. Is it a new type of technology for the mortgage industry? Can you explain it a little bit to our listeners? Sure, sure. Well, first, let me, let me give you a, a very high-level view of what an expert system is trying to do. And maybe we could start there and then figure out where it was first used and then where it is today in the mortgage space. So what, what an expert system is trying to do, much as the name implies, you're trying to put the perspective, the thought life, the thinking capabilities of a person into a machine. So you're trying to get a machine to behave like a thinking person. It's very hard to do. Uh, the first attempts at that were done in the 80s. And, and one of the spheres of which I was part of was actually trying to create systems for the NSA and the CIA. And, and what, what we were doing there was trying to get the system to behave like a top flight intelligence analyst. So we wanted to create a machine that could think like an analyst, a top flight 95th percentile analyst, and do that in a manner that was compelling. It would, it would take in information, it would analyze it and give get back feedback that would be sensible and meaningful given the problem at hand. So that was what expert systems are trying to do. They're trying to put some kind of thought life into a machine and getting that thought life to simulate thinking. And so, again, the first places that I've, I've encountered it was in the 80s in the, uh, in the uh, airspace world where we were developing advanced systems for intelligence agencies. And the goal there was to make every analyst a 95th percentile analyst. So that particular kind of technology was the first AI, and it was considered to be a robust technology, but it, it kind of got oversold, to be honest with you, it was oversold. And, and so it, it ended up in a few places where it's very appropriate, but the bulk of the applications what fell to other technologies over time. So you'll see expert systems in things like medical diagnostics now. You'll see them in, for example, uh, IBM Watson does a, a shtick where they're analyzing a GE huge turbine engine. So it's it's now into, into those domains. Anything diagnostics is probably a good field for an expert system. And so the expert system in the mortgage space that we call Candor is the first system to attempt to duplicate duplicate underwriter critical thought life and put it into a machine. And how does one actually teach a machine, or in this case, duplicate critical thought life for an underwriter to have the machine learn or to, to where do you even start from? Can you can you kind of sure, go under the sure. hood for uh, me? 
So, so what you have to do, uh, you have to, uh, there's a process that a discipline of sorts, it's, it's, it's practiced by a few now, it's called knowledge engineering. And that's where you have to create the problem solving metaphor that's appropriate for that particular person at that particular time. So if you're doing a medical diagnostic system, you have to think like how a, a medical doctor slash diagnostician would think. So for example, if you think about what a, a doctor does, they have the reports from the patient. So that would, you'd have to have the metaphor about, okay, what's the data from the patient? And then you have to have a lot of data from the tests and so forth that are applied to the patient. And then you have to have a portfolio of here's what the various diseases look like. Here's what their attributes are. And then you take a look at the attributes of the disease, the attributes that the patient's sharing and the data from the tests. And in that metaphor, you now have a problem solving framework in which you could start saying, does this person have pneumonia? If so, you check out the data, you check out the reports from the person, you check out the, the symptoms, and then you come to a conclusion, either all of these facts are consistent, therefore you have pneumonia, or they're not consistent, and we have to look for another disease that would represent the symptoms and the disease morphology that you're normally looking for. So that, that's how that works. So the way we did this with, with the underwriting space, we took data from the borrower. That was their statement of where they are in life. That's their loan application. And that includes a whole host of things, probably 10 to 12 different categories of information on the loan application. We take that. We take data about the applicant, such as their pay stubs, such as W-2, such as bank statements. And then we take data from the investor that that the lender is targeting to be to buy this loan and now you start seeing does this particular person's representation of their finances is it consistent with the data about the person and does that enable this person to qualify or not qualify for a given loan program and so we had to teach that metaphor to to a machine does that make some sense it does make sense. I guess I would ask how an expert system is different than robotic process automation. Is there a certain way you have to speak to the machine or a certain language you have to use so that it well, understands I, what you're I saying? Think, I think uh, robotic process automation is typically something that happens at a specific point in the process. It's a very rigid and static set of logic. So, uh, and, and that's what that is. And it's very limited in its perspective. Uh, in the expert system, you see, the expert system and the logic that's called up is really peculiar to the kind of problem at hand. So whereas an expert system relates to the problem at hand, an RPA is just a static structure to go order a credit report. That's all it does. It, it doesn't, doesn't do anything more than that. But what, what a, an expert system does, we, we create something we call them in, in, in candor ease, we call them pivot points. And the pivot point is really a representation of a very precisely defined problem for which Candor then has programmed into it the requisite analytical methodology. So it's really, it's, we have in the Candor architecture over 23,000 pivot points, which means we've programmed in solutions to 23,000 plus very well-defined, precisely defined problems. 
which are then the solutions of which are then invoked and applied by candor. And then candor either ends up at a point where the problem is solved or it comes across a new problem that takes it to the next pivot point and the next set of logic. An RPA doesn't have that kind of dynamic and adaptive capability. It's just very static. It's very rigid. Uh, and and it, it's probably far less elaborate, to be honest with you. That that makes sense. So I think a lot of underwriters out there would say that underwriting is as much an art, if not more so, than a science. How how do you teach the machine to learn and, and adapt where I guess an example would be, well, we thought this borrower had a great credit profile, but suddenly they default. What how does the machine learn and make decisions going sure, forward? And, sure. And Again, if you talk about that pivot point technology, we've had to define over 23,000 very precisely defined problems and their solutions to make him. So we've got 23,000 plus pivot points defined in Candor that are Candor's isolation and analysis of 23,000 plus different kinds of problems and how to solve them. So the underwriter is correct in that um, they don't know what problem they're going to encounter next, and so they have to be prepared to adapt. In candor, we accept that metaphor as true. We don't know what problem's coming next. So we had to teach the machine 23,000 plus different kinds of problems and how to solve them. And so when you when you sit there and you say, okay, it, candor's now picking which one of its 23,000 plus solutions or problems are, is at hand, and therefore that's what candor goes and solves next. So that's how that works. Does that make some sense? It does make sense. So now that Candor is out there on the market and it's underwritten you know, several hundred thousand files, what do you think is going to be the next big push to drive efficiency and profits for lenders? I can tell you where our customers want us to go, and that's probably a good, good harbinger of where to go next. Uh, we, we have positioned Candor at first as a back office solution that, w- that would enable a machine to start emulating underwriter thought life. So the, the next question that I think lenders would like to solve is now that they have a candor that can automate underwriter thought life and solve underwriting problems in real time in seconds, they're probably going to move that further up in the food chain to get closer and closer to when the lender is encountering the applicant and the future borrower. So I would suspect we're going to go there and they're going to go there because they want to engage the consumer as early in the process as possible. And there's two reasons for that. Reason number one, they are finding that a candor-like presentation to the borrower gives the borrower a much clearer and a much more reliable impression of what they have to do to get a loan. Because the current presentation to the applicant is done by a loan officer who only has a vague recollection of what the many loan programs that are out there, what, what, what requirements there are, which one would be applied to this particular borrower and what this borrower circumstance really is. So, so a machine can go get a very precise impression of a, of a loan program and a very specific impression of this borrower and give the borrower exactly the right advice as to what documents to get and what things they have to go accomplish in order to complete a valid loan application. So, that's one thing. They're going to get the borrower, future borrower, current applicant, much better informed. 
And the other thing is, is that once they get them much better informed, they're likely to stick with that lender through, through thick and thin, and they're likely to get a loan in the cleanest, fastest way possible, which is also how the lender gets the most benefit from the technology. So there's two things. First of all, they, they give the borrower a clear impression. And secondly, they get to keep the borrower, engage the borrower early on and, and have the borrower committed to that lender and therefore the lender in the end gets the most money. I think that's going to be a big benefit to both lenders and borrowers. Um, I think so. Let me, let me close here with a little sci-fi style question for you. Can you tell people that are very naive about AI or machine learning, my, myself being one of those people, why we don't need to worry about machines learning so much that they're going to turn on humans and say, let me do something that's catastrophic to them? Sure, sure. Uh, we have, remember those 23,000 plus problems that we programmed in Candor? Yes. That took almost 300,000 man hours to do. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of time and a lot of people. So first and foremost, to solve a problem is a very expensive proposition. So if you think about that alone, it, it, the underwriting problem is problems go in life are, rather, are relatively narrow. And it took hundreds of thousands of man hours to solve that one. Uh, if you think about the hundreds of other problems that are out there, teaching a machine under current methodology to solve them all would probably require more man hours than there is that are in the U.S. economy at this time. So that's point number one, very complicated. The other thing is, is that we still haven't figured out how to turn a machine into a sentient being that could learn on its own. Uh, Candor does a whiz at underwriting, but if you said to Candor, well, Candor, tell me what status my mortgage is in, it wouldn't know what to say because we haven't taught it that yet. <laughs> so it, it really is, it really is, a dumb beast with respect to if it hasn't been taught it, it can't respond. So there, those are the many dimensions of why machines are going to be very good at solving particular kinds of problems that can be structured and analyzed as I, as I prescribed. But the, the likelihood that a machine can learn and grow on its own and, and can therefore expand its footprint and expand its capabilities without a great deal of human assist. That's very remote. Well, let's hope in the future when, when Candor gets uh, to be a sentient being that it doesn't remember you calling it a dumb beast on this podcast and turn against you. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll remember that. Yeah, certainly. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Remember when the talk driving movements in the bond market was all about Brexit and the U.S.-China trade war? I can't quite say I miss those days, but all anybody wants to talk about now is that I-word, inflation. Much like those previous two topics I mentioned, overly stimulative central bank policies should keep inflation on the tips of market participants' tongues for the rest of the year. On the bright side, it is a sign that the economy is poised to overheat rather than become anemic. We saw yesterday that small business optimism rose in April, though companies are having trouble finding qualified workers, and the highest percentage of business owners since 1981 reported increasing prices. Yesterday's Treasury market response was muted, while the MBS basis widened. Today's economic calendar is already underway, and we have seen that mortgage applications increased 2.1% from one week earlier, according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's weekly mortgage application survey for the week ending May 7th. 
In consumer inflation news, also out were April CPI, up 0.8%, and core CPI, excluding food and energy, up 0.9%. This afternoon brings a $41 billion 10-year note auction and the April Treasury budget. Three Fed speakers are currently scheduled, Vice Chair Clarita, Alana's Bostich, and Philadelphia's Harker. Today's New York Fed desk purchase schedule is the largest of the week at $8.2 billion over three operations, including two in UMBS 32% and 2.5%. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse than eighth, and the 10-year yielding 1.64% versus closing yesterday at 1.62% after the strong inflationary news. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I was standing nude, looking in the bedroom mirror. I wasn't happy with what I saw and said to my wife, I feel horrible. I look old, fat, and ugly. I really need you to pay me a compliment. She replied, your eyesight is darn near perfect. (laughs) Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Chrisman sent you. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.